Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. For the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. Of course, as always, you're going to get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call 646 727 3070. That's 646 727 3070. You can listen to the show, slash PGAN, and messages. To the show on Twitter at Go For Can't. And while you're there, at Go For Can't on Twitter, give me a follow. G O F O R I T G A N T. Great show lined up for you today. Expect to be joined by former Major League Baseball player Rick Ankeel, who's going to discuss his new book, The Phenomenon. And Rick had a rough ride there for a moment, but ultimately he righted his ship. Changed from a pitcher to an outfielder, prolonged his career, and made a decent career out for himself. So, you know, he read some rough spots, some rough moments, but we'll talk to Rick about those rough spots and those rough moments and writing the book, Phenomenon. Also, former Auburn safety Rudy Ford will be joining us as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Going to get his thoughts about his prep and what's going on with him with the draft. And also, former Ohio State wide receiver, H-back, Dot Trey Wilson will be joining us, get his thoughts as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft, which is less than a week away. Next week, the NFL draft gets started next Thursday out there in the beautiful, the lovely, the amazing city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But we got a lot to get to, so let's get right down to it. And one thing, well, let's start it. Let's start here. Bulls and Celtics. I mean, the, ball, the Chicago Bulls went into Boston, not only won game one, but also won game two, and obviously took a 2-0 seriously. Last number one seed to go down 2-0 was the 1993 Phoenix Suns, and they were ultimately able to win the next three games. And at that time, the first round was five-game series, but they were able to win the next three games. And ultimately, they were able to get to the NBA Finals, ultimately able to win that series and move forward. So it's not impossible. Is it tough? Could it be unlikely? All those are maybe. But impossible? Definitely not impossible, especially after this news, the news that Rajon Rondo out indefinitely with a fractured thumb. That's huge. That that changes things just a little bit. It changes things. Because obviously Rondo was big time in this series. 11 points per game. And assists. I mean, he was doing it all for the uh, Chicago Bulls against his former team, the Boston Celtics. So 
Rondo now out indefinitely, does not need surgery. And according to reports, his return is dependent upon how far, how long Chicago Bulls can stay in these playoffs. And they definitely take a hit without Rondo being in the building. Jerry and Grant will be the starter in his place. MCW Michael Carter Williams will back him up. But at the end of the day, that's a huge, huge loss because the Bulls were rolling. Rondo was rolling. I mean, almost messed around and had a triple-double in game two against the Boston Celtics. 11 points, 14 assists, nine rebounds, and oh, by the way, five steals. No one expected the Bulls to be up 2-0. We, we heard the talk, the chatter, that the Boston Celtics were the worst number one seed possibly ever. And I think at the end of the day, if the Bulls win this series, I think you can definitely make that case. I mean, if, if they don't even get out of the first round, I think most definitely you can make that case that they are, in fact, the worst number one seed in the history of the National Basketball Association. So that, that's huge. I mean, I, I don't think the Boston Celtics want to go down as the worst number one seed ever. I, I don't think they want that to happen. But they got to turn this thing around. I thought looking at this team, the Boston Celtics were emotionally drained, especially in game one. Uh, you know, you had Isaiah Thomas on the sideline crying there on the bench. That's, I mean, obviously it's, it's understandable. I mean, he lost his sister. His 22-year-old sister. Prayers out to the Thomas family. Again, 22-year-old sister. 22 years old. No one should be dying at the age of 22. No one. But unfortunately, she got into a car accident. Unfortunately, she died. And again, prayers out to the family of Isaiah Thomas. But at the end of the day, the Bull, I mean, the Celtics, they, they really didn't look like themselves. And maybe going on the road is, is what they need. Maybe going on the road, clear their head a little bit, clear their mind a little bit, is what the Boston Celtics need. Here's the thing. It's not like the Chicago Bulls are world beaters. There's a reason they're 41 and 41. There's a, there's a reason they're the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. There's a reason that the Boston Celtics are a 50-win team and are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So there are reasons for these things. Boston is the better team. But thus far, Chicago has played like the number one seed, and Boston has played like the number eight seed at this point. But we'll see what happens. I mean, you wonder what Isaiah Thomas is going to be like now. He, he went out with his family, and he, you know, dealing with that issue, dealing with that situation, and that's a tough issue. That's a tough situation. But he went out with his family, and you know, you, you wonder, is he going to come back? He's rejoined. He rejoined the team in Chicago, but is he going to come back emotionally drained? Is he going to come back rejuvenated, inspired? I mean, those are questions that have to be answered, and those are questions that ultimately will be answered. Tonight, the next night, and beyond. Those are the questions that, you know, has to happen. Those, those are the questions that, you know, have to be answered. 
Boston, I think at this point, and I said this at the time, but you got all these assets. You got that next pick, obviously, which is huge. Could be the number one pick in the NBA draft. You got to parlay that into something. And I thought, and I don't know how hard they went after it, but I thought they should have tried to find a way to get their hands on the best player in this series, and that's Jimmy Butler. I thought they should have tried as hard as they could to get the best player on the Indiana player, Pacer, excuse me, and one of the best players in this game, Paul George. I thought Boston needed to do that. I thought Boston, if they were about going to the NBA Finals, and who knows? I mean, could they beat the Golden State Warriors in a seven-game series? I don't think so. But anything is possible. Anything can happen. But I thought this was the perfect year where Cleveland was, was vulnerable. They don't defend. And they won yesterday. And they're up three games to nothing against the Indiana Pacers. But they don't defend. They don't. And there's a reason they gave up 74 points in the first half. Granted, they only gave up 40 points in the second half. But this Cleveland team does not defend well enough. So, therefore, there's vulnerability when it comes to the Cavaliers. They're vulnerable. This could have been a year where Boston could have took advantage of that vulnerability. I mean, at some point, you just can't keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. At some point, you got to add a veteran, and you got to take that thing to the next level. And Boston, I felt, needed to do that. Think about taking this thing to the next level. And to me, that next level is the NBA Finals. I mean, or at least going two to three rounds in the playoffs. But I thought Boston, that was a move I thought they should have made. That was a move I thought they should have looked into. And, and maybe they did. We don't know how hard. But you know what you get with Jimmy Butler, an all-star. You know what you get in a Paul George, an all-star. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get in Markel Fultz. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get in Lonzo Ball. And at the end of the day, you have Isaiah Thomas. So how much really do you need a Lonzo Ball? So I thought, personally, that the Boston Celtics should have, I thought they should have, you know, Went for it. Go for it. I, I, I just think they should have done it. And now, the best player coming into the series, I thought was in this series was Jimmy Buck. And it's rare where you could say the AFC the team has the best player on the basketball court. That's rare. That's rare. And so the ball, the Chicago Bulls could say that because Jimmy Butler is the best player in this series. We'll see what happens. I think Boston stretches the thing to six. I think they get it to six. I don't think they go farther than that. I think the Bulls close it out in six. I think Boston gets two. They get two. They find a way to get two.
But I think at the end of the day, they get closed out in six in Chicago. We'll see. And then also this week, one of the big stories, also Boston, New England area, is the suicide of Aaron Hernandez. I mean, just a, it's a sad story. I mean, it's, it's, it's Shakespearean. I mean, a, a guy who was at the top, a guy who just signed a five-year, $40 million deal, a, a guy who was a big-time tight end in this league, a guy who had Tom Brady as his quarterback, a guy who seemingly had it all, fiance, daughter. I mean, he had it all. But he just, for whatever reason, couldn't. He loves street life for whatever reason. Street life appealed to this guy. Street life appealed to Aaron Hernandez for whatever reason. And ultimately, that appeal cost him his life. And that appeal, you know, is what, I mean, it cost him his life. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And Aaron Hernandez, football player by day, thug by night, for whatever reason. And there's many things you could point to. But it probably didn't help that he was two hours away from his hometown of Bristol, Connecticut. Sometimes when you get that money, you got to go. And you got to go far, far away. But at the end of the day, very difficult when that far, far away is only two hours away. Where, where you could drive two hours or your boys can get drive two hours and be with you or you could drive two hours and be with your boys. So that two hours wasn't far enough. He needed to go farther, maybe somewhere in the middle of the country. You know, he maybe somewhere on the left coast. He needed to be far away from Connecticut, Bristol, Connecticut, Bristol. But you know, the reality of it is, and it's, it's a sad story, and ultimately his brain is being checked for CTE, and, and We'll see what that comes up. You know, we'll see what happens and and how that test comes. But, I mean, it maybe could explain the irrational behavior, the the behavior that you can't really understand. Like, how do you understand a guy who can, can go out there and, you know, do God knows what. I mean, kill people, you know, just just do stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. And ultimately, you know, you feel obviously for the family of Odin Lloyd. You feel obviously for the family of Aaron Hernandez. You feel for his fiance. You feel for his daughter. If nobody wins. Nobody wins, and Hernandez was recently acquitted of double murder just last week. But nobody wins. Everybody loses here. We all lose. Aaron Hernandez loses. Odin Lloyd loses. You know, everybody loses. There are no winners here. And Aaron Hernandez, to to see a guy who went from the top, and I've always said, 
those are the saddest stories to me. The guys who make it all the way to the top and they'll go all the way down. But when you're living a double life, and that's essentially what Aaron Hernandez was doing, living a double life. When you're living a double life, things happen. And eventually, one takes over the other. And for Aaron Hernandez, obviously the street life took over the NFL life. And the street life and the street behavior, the gunplay became who he was. And that's a sad, sad story. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean it. anything in the playoffs, time. In the playoffs, time, it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I was trying to throw uh, you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around you. I yeah, just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all That's not Roxy. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> so- and we're back. Go for it. Paul again here. Talking sports and having fun doing it. So into the day, how do we remember Aaron Hernandez? And I think we remember him, unfortunately, for stupidity. We remember him, unfortunately, for the killing of Odin Lloyd. We remember him for just unrealized potential, unrealized talent that never, I mean, it came to fruition but it wasn't sustainable because character was not there for him. He didn't have the necessary character. He didn't have the character necessary. Let me say that better. He didn't have the character necessary to sustain it, be successful, and do big things. And that's just the reality of it when it comes to Aaron Hernandez. I feel for him. I feel for his family. I really do. But at the end of the day, I I think the sympathy, if we're going to throw out the sympathy card, has to go more to the family of Odin Lloyd. That's just the reality of it. That's just the reality of it. I mean, Odin Lloyd lost his life for nothing. He lost his life for nothing. So if we're throwing out sympathy, and don't get me wrong, Aaron Hernandez gets my sympathy, but oh Lloyd gets my sympathy just a little bit more. That's the way I feel about it. That's the reality of the situation. And it is what it is. But again, prayers out to the family of Aaron Hernandez, prayers out to the family of old Lloyd. And everybody involved in this situation. 
But it's sad. Just sad. Let's switch gears now. NBA playoffs. Last night, LeBron James. LeBron James. Amazing. Indiana dominating the Cleveland Cavaliers. You thought for sure Indiana was going to make it two games to one. But the Cavaliers, with all that offense, now all that offense, down 26 big points, they come back and beat the Pacers 119-114. And LeBron James, what an amazing game. 41 points. 41 points. Oh, by the way, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. 41, 13, and 12. What an amazing performance. He was big time. Absolutely big time. And so, obviously, if you're the Indiana Pacers, you know it's it's done. You know that you're done. You know that you're done at this point. You're not coming back from 3-0. That's just the reality of the situation. Maybe you show a little pride. You win game three, so prolong the series. But end of the day, you know you're done. You know it's done. You know that you have no chance to win this series. None. And so it's tough. It's definitely a tough pill to swallow if you're Larry Bird if you're Nate McMillan, if you're Paul George in the Indiana Pacers. But at the end of the day, LeBron James was special. He was and is special. And last night he showed how special he truly is. I mean, he was hitting threes left to right, you know, just big-time shot after big-time shot after big-time shot, got his team back, and his team ultimately took it from there and, and got it done. LeBron is special, man. And and we can talk about James Harden. We can talk about Westbrook. We can talk about, you know, those guys in terms of the MVP race. We can talk about those guys. But let's never, ever forget about the great LeBron James. Let's not forget about him. He's not going to win the MVP this year. He shouldn't win the MVP this year. Russell Westbrook should. That's bottom line. But man, man, oh man. Come back from 26 points down to do what he did in that game to mess around and get a triple-double. I mean, that's just big time. That is big time. That's a big time performance. He got it done last night in Indiana, and now his team is in a good spot moving forward. You're listening to Go For The Block Talk Radio. 
Tyron, welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best Hello? chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best Wait, chance sir? in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. Good. The Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but right, so we can that doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt marry women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back. Go for it. Talking sports. Having fun doing it. We're about to bring in a guy now. I mean, this man, back in 2000, you know, big-time phenom. I mean, big-time pitcher, did some big-time things, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it fell apart for him. But ultimately, he recovered. Ultimately, he had a successful Major League Baseball career. And now this man has wrote a book, The Phenomenon. Let's bring him in now. Former Major League Baseball star, Rick A. Keel. Rick. What's happening? How are you, sir? I'm good. I can't complain. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. And- and Rick, I just look at you. I mean, big time prospect. You know, you start game one, NLDS, you're moving along. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you get wild. Ultimately, you never really get it back. Do you know how it happened? There's no why. No, I don't know why it happened. And I've spoken with other people who went through the same thing, and nobody can put a finger on it. That's, that's even with all the science that we have today now in 2017. And you know, the thing about it, I mean, it's called the thing and the yips and the monster. It has multiple names. It doesn't even have one, one name. Scientifically, there's not even a name for it. And, and to me, that's just how bizarre and mysterious it is. Exactly. I mean, it was just it, it just happened out of nowhere. And I just look back on it. I mean, and obviously, you probably don't know, but did you see any hints that this could happen to you? No, zero. I mean, at that time, I was, like you mentioned, young, top prospect, feeling invincible and dominating my way through the minor leagues and even through that first year in the big leagues. And, uh, you know, nothing. It, it just came out of nowhere. And, and and that's the thing. And nobody can tell you, you know, what's wrong with you. And, and that's the hardest part is just trying to understand what's wrong so you can fix it. And nobody has the answers. And your collapse, it was public. It was on the public stage. Everybody saw it. Fortunately for you. Social media really wasn't that big. It really didn't exist at the time. But let me ask you this. How much worse would it have been for you if social media was around? I mean, look, uh, guessing, you know, it would have been a lot worse. I mean, we can see what social media can do to some people when something catches on. And, you know, it just takes off. And obviously this is the information age. So, yeah, I mean, if, if I had to guess, I would have said it would have been a lot worse. For sure. We're talking to former Major League Baseball player and now author Rick Ankill has a great book out, The Phenomenon. And ultimately, Rick, you know, 
you tried to get back. You tried to get back to the major league level as a pitcher. You did, but ultimately you still had those struggles. But back in 2001, you turned to alcohol to settle your nerves. How did you? How much did you drink? You know, back in 2001, that was um, before Game One and Game Two of the season. Um, you know, 2001 was the hardest part for me coming into that season. I was hoping I'd just come back to being the guy I was after going, you know, having an off season and stepping away from the game. Um, but what I found was it was in me deeper and darker than it had been ever before. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's funny because before that game one start, I'd say about two weeks before that start, somebody casually said, hey, you know, maybe you should just try pitching buzz. Uh, maybe that'll take the edge off. And I kind of blew it off like, yeah, ha-ha, whatever. Uh, and before that game one, that the day of that start, uh, I didn't know this was going to happen, but leading up to the game and then getting to the field, um, I was terrified, uh, scared to death, and I knew that it wasn't going to go well. I knew I was going to go out there and I was going to start throwing balls off the backstop and bouncing balls, and, and I was going I was starting against Randy Johnson, uh, you know, and it was going to be a televised game and it was going to happen in front of the world. So I went to my, my good friend and another pitcher on the team, Daryl Kyle. I said, hey, you know, you think you'd go find me some alcohol and put it in a water bottle? And he did, and, uh, and it worked. And, you know, I remember in the third inning, I could feel the anxiety and all the, the emotions that came with it, trying to overcome the alcohol. And I'm, I'm just sitting on the sitting in the dugout in between innings, you know, sipping on this water bottle, um, you know, thinking this is crazy. This is what I have to do to compete. But it, but it did work. And uh, since it worked, I tried it the next game. But, you know, the anxiety and everything else is so powerful that it overcame the alcohol. And I knew that that wasn't the answer. And, and uh, you know, I had to face the music and, and try it a different way. How close were you to turning? I mean, obviously you tried the alcohol, but how close were you to turning to drugs? There's nothing ever, uh, you know, to distract myself away from the field. You know, I tried marijuana. Um, but as far as pitching, the alcohol was it. I mean, uh, you know, I had a psychologist I was working with, and I talked to him about it too. And even after that game one start, you know, he said, hey, this isn't – it's not – he said, I understand, um, but it's not real. And, and you know – Darn if he wasn't always right because that second game, it did overcome the alcohol. And then, you know, in talking with him and all that, I understood, you know, hey, he's like, hey, you're going to have to go at this and, and face it and, and understand how you're feeling. So the alcohol can't hide it. Nothing's going to be able to hide it. It's going to overcome whatever it wants to. Um, and you're going to have to understand what you're feeling to eventually get over it. And, uh, you know, and that's the way I went about it. Well, I mean, when you were drinking alcohol, you didn't obviously – did you get a little buzz from it, you know, as you were drinking the alcohol? During the game, I, I mean, I guess you can say there was a buzz, but it wasn't, It wasn't. Uh, you know, that isn't what I was after. I mean, it was really about drowning the monster or the thing or, or you know, um, trying to calm those nerves down. Um, that didn't work, but it, it's not like I was out there feeling a buzz, so to speak. Okay. Um, you know, if that makes any sense for you. What was the lowest point for you? I think 2001, um, you know, in all mixed into all of this, you know, I would have nightmares that I couldn't, I couldn't throw a strike. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night with my heart beating a hundred miles an hour and felt like I had a hundred pound weight on my chest. And, you know, the nights that I would have those dreams, um, I wouldn't go back to sleep. I would just stay awake. Uh, and here we are at four in the morning. Now I'm awake all the way till morning. And then I would have anxiety that lasted the whole day. So those days following those nights, it was almost impossible to play catch those days because your your brain can't tell the difference between your subconscious and your conscious, meaning whether it's a dream or not, 
your body still goes through the same thing, the anxiety and everything else, uh, and it would it would stay with me. And you know, mm-hmm. just being that young and not really understanding, and but trying to understand and trying to figure all this out, and at the same time watching everything that I had ever worked for, making it to the big leagues, and being that pitcher, um, be taken away from me with by an unexplained reason was just just so so tough to deal with. Um, you know, and I wouldn't rec- I, I just, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this to happen to anybody. It, it's terrible. It's awful. It's frightening. Uh, it's definitely the worst thing that I've ever been through. Were you suicidal at all? I mean, obviously, because baseball was your life. Baseball was who you were. Right. Uh, no, no, not in that. I mean, if I, I can't say that at, at a time or two, I wasn't driving a car thinking, man, I could just turn the wheel and, and not have to deal with this anymore. But as far as being down that road is, is you know, really suicidal. No, um, and in those in those moments, in that time, in those times of despair and, and severe depression, you know, I just always tried to remind myself that hey, the sun's gonna rise tomorrow. And the other thing, you know, something that I learned from Harvey Dorfman, which was, listen, it's not what happens to you. That's not what makes you are. It's how you respond to what happens to you. And I just would keep repeating those things when I was in those moments, and those things helped me get get to the next day. We're talking to former major league star Rick Ankill. He has a new book out, great book out there, The Phenomenon. And I look at you now, Rick, and, you know, obviously you were able to reinvent yourself and, and prolong your career. You became an outfielder, and, and I heard you say becoming an outfielder took all the pressure off of you. Talk about that. Yeah, well, the, you know, when I, I battled the throwing stuff for four years, and whether it be injury plus the throwing stuff, I mean, it went on from 2000 until – 2005 when I finally made the switch and I often said I felt like I was in a mental prison and that's what it felt like it just felt like you're trapped and always constantly consumed by the thought of how am I going to fix this or okay now I've kind of got this under control but I still have to pitch today and tomorrow and and, you know constantly finding ways to control that anxiety and keep those nerves down and and try to keep this thing at bay Um, so when I did make the switch over to the outfield you know, I felt like that weight got lifted off of my chest and I felt free again and I could go to the field and be myself and joke around and have fun because I didn't have to worry about throwing strikes. And that was just such a grind. Um, obviously, the physical challenges and learning how to be an outfielder and be a hitter were had their own challenges, but it was different. Um, you know, more of a physical more of a f- physical challenge, I would call it, just because you're learning angles and learning how to play a different position um, versus that mental grind that you can never get away from it. Uh, so, you know, even though it was hard, it wasn't near as hard as those four or five years that I had to deal with trying to worry about throwing strikes. What was it like for you? What's it like to write a book? I enjoyed the process. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting to, you know, I went all the way back to my childhood and I feel like everybody has an, an, this image in their mind of who they think they were when they were, you know, eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, all the way up. Um, but it was interesting to go back and talk to people that was that were in my life and hear their perspective of who they thought I was and everything else. But not only that, to go back and understand where I came from and where I am now. It's something that I'm very proud of. Um, and it, so it was, you know, it's been therapeutic to write about it, to talk about it, um, to understand that I can help other people who are going through the ups and downs of life and the roller coaster that everybody gets on. Um, and it's, you know, I remember going when I was going through the throwing stuff, all the letters that I'd gotten from different walks of life, whether it be an announcer, a writer, you name it, just people saying, ah, I went through something similar and, you know, thank you for sharing my story or, or this is how I got through that throwing time. But now, 
Um, even though it's so early in the book release, I've had plenty of people come up and say, thanks for sharing your story. Uh, I'm going through something now, or I went through something, and it's helped me to listen to you. So that's been rewarding, and uh, it's been enjoyable. Were there times during this book writing process where you, you had to stop because some of the moments were just too painful to relive? No, no. I mean, it was a long process. Like I said, it was over, you know, we're, we're at the four-year mark, maybe a little over four years. Um, you know, the hardest part was writing about the family stuff and, and uh, you know, having to relive that with my mom because now you know that they have to relive it and she had to relive some of that stuff that she didn't want to. And, you know, I made sure I checked with her first and sat down. We had that conversation, you know, and me saying, are you going to be okay with me writing this and doing this? And once she was on board with it, um, then the process started. And, and uh, like I said, now that it's done, it, it's been an enjoyable. And, and um, you know, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the process as, as of now. We're talking to former Major League Baseball star Rick Ankill. Great book out, The Phenomenon. And growing up, Rick, you know, your father – a lot of issues with drugs, in and out of prison. I mean, talk about that. I mean, how difficult was it to grow up in something like that? It was really hard. Um, you know, constantly being disappointed and, and uh, you know, never, you know, I feel like I was lied to my entire childhood. And not only that, but, you know, when he would, he would disappear for a few days and when he would show up, whether it was in this drunken rage or whatever, he was violent and he would abuse my mother and, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and hear your mother screaming and screaming for help. And, and uh, you know, I I wish I would have went out there and hit him with a bat and ended it all, but I never did. And, and um, you know, because I was scared and I was young. And, and But I carried that guilt with me for a long time that I wish I could have helped my mom. And maybe it would have given her a better life moving forward. And, uh, you know, it's just it's a tough thing to go through. I'm not I know I'm not the only one who's ever been through that, but uh, it's hard. And, and now that now that I'm a father, you know, I feel like it's my job to break that cycle and, and give my kids a better childhood and, and you know, in a loving home and, and, and you know, help them achieve everything they want to achieve and not let them go through something like that. Have the scars healed? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm past it now, definitely. You know, I, when, once, especially when I had my kids, um, you know, when my kids were first born, you know, that just the emotions that come over to you when you first hold them. And, and, you know, and right then and there, I understood that, uh, you know, what, what I needed to do and, and, you know, the cycle that I needed to break and the father I needed to be. So looking at your career, I mean, it may not have went the way you wanted it to go, but at the end of the day, you had a solid career. How would Rick and Kill rate his career? I, I'm very proud of what I what I was able to accomplish. I mean, I obviously you're right. I didn't become the Hall of Fame pitcher that maybe I thought I had a chance to be, but so what? I never gave up. I reinvented myself. I made it to the big leagues as an outfielder. Stayed there for seven years. Had plenty of magical moments. I have a beautiful wife, beautiful kids, um, and I'm living a good life. You know, now I'm the guy. It's hard enough to make it to the big leagues once, and now I'm the guy who can say, "Hey, I've made it twice and had two different positions." So that's something I'm very proud of. Um, I gave it the best I had, and there's. You know, I can look in the mirror and say, I, I gave this everything I had, and it is what it is, and I'm proud of that. But, so at the end of the day, you almost feel like you, you had a better life, better than what you expected. At the end of the day, looking back, I know I gave it everything I had. Um, I worked as hard as I could. I, I, you know, I, I gave it everything I had, and that's something 
you know, that I try to, to tell young players, man, you don't want to be able to look in the mirror and, and, and regret that you didn't work hard enough or you didn't try hard enough or if you thought you could have done something else and had a better career. Well, I, I gave it my own. But now moving forward, there's nothing to regret. I mean, I've had, like I said, there's some magical moments in there, some home runs, some throws, uh, some of the teams that I was a part of, et cetera. Just, you know, I'm very proud of everything that I was able to accomplish. What's the craziest thing that we'll learn about Rick and Kiel after reading this book? Mm, yeah, I, I think it's the, the, the perseverance. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the book, but, you know, I think it's just the perseverance and the will to, to continue and to keep fighting. And, hey, look, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I have a whole other life in front of me. I'm an analyst for Fox Midwest, which I, you know, I really enjoy, and I want to keep pursuing that. And, um, like I said, I'm proud and, and in a good place and happy, and it is what it is. Sounds good. So where can fans find information about this great book, purchase this great book, The Phenomenon? Uh, you can go to rickankielbook.com. Um, it's available online at Barnes & Nobles, um, et cetera. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at drickankiel, T-H-E-E. And, uh, you know, I hope you go out and purchase it. And I hope it, you know, I hope, what I hope is the book can inspire people who are going through going through the ups and downs. And, and, uh, and maybe somebody's went through something similar and it'll help them by reading my story. I know when I was going through tough times, I remember reading Lance Armstrong's book and everything that he went through. Um, and it helped me. Um, and I hope that my book can do the same for someone else. The book is the phenomenon, the author, former Major League Baseball player, Rick Ann Kiel. Rick, absolute pleasure talking to you. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to do it again. All right. Thanks, my man. Have a good one. Have a good weekend. Take care. Rick Ann Kiel, former Major League Baseball star. He has a new book out there, The Phenomenon. Make sure you go out there, go get the book, and support all the great things going on with Rick and Keel. Great story. Great story. Amazing story. And obviously, he went to the bottom. Now he's found a way to stick around, get back to the top, and have success. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, to see somebody make a comeback, to see somebody, you know, even though things were rough, even though things were tough, he found a way to make it happen. And now he can talk about it. And and that's the beauty of it, to be able to talk about it. And he can talk about it. Pleasure talking to Rick and Keel. Let's go back now to the NBA playoffs. And what we saw the other night, Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, 50 big points, what, 51 points? So he had a triple-double. You know, he, he had a big-time performance, big-time game. They had a horrible fourth quarter. And Russell shot him into the game, and ultimately Russell shot him out of the game. But at the end of the day, who did you really want to take those shots? I mean, did, did you want Steven Adams to take that shot? Did you want Jeremy Grant to take that shot? Who did you want to take the shot? Obviously, you want Russell Westbrook. 
You want Russell to take those shots. And he took them. A lot of them. A whole heck of a lot of them. A lot of them. I mean, <laughs> 51 points. That's huge. That's big time. 43 shots. That's a lot of shots. That's a whole lot of shots. Four for 18 in the fourth quarter. Four for 18 in the fourth quarter. Think about that. Take a second. Matter of fact, take two, because that's amazing. 18 shots. 18. 18. In the fourth quarter. That's a lot of shots. A whole lot of shots. And I'm not mad at them. And I guess we can criticize them, sure. But you can also make this argument. Get ready. Get prepared. But at the end of the third quarter, Westbrook went to the bench. OKC, I believe, was up 12 points in control of the basketball game. Westbrook goes out. And from there, Houston closes out the third. They're only down three. Westbrook comes back. And maybe in the process of coming back, Westbrook may have gotten a little desperate. Maybe felt he needed to take over the game. Maybe he felt he needed to do something. And that's something, unfortunately for him, four for 18, didn't get it done. Four for 18, you know, ultimately, I don't want to say it cost him the game. Obviously, if he could have hit a few more shots, it would have helped. But they're not in the game without Westbrook. And I guess, I mean, it's kind of like the Allen Iverson effect. You know, when Allen Iverson was with the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, they needed him to be that guy night in and night out. Night in and night out, they needed him to, to, to put up a bunch of shots. They needed him to make a bunch of plays. They don't win without Allen Iverson being successful. And OKC, at this point, they need Westbrook to be superhuman. And quite frankly, when you average a triple-double, you are superhuman. Quite frankly, when, when you do what Westbrook has done, you are superhuman. Quite frankly, when you drop 51 points, 51 points, and oh, by the way, mess around and get a triple-double, you know what you're doing. You're superhuman. Those performances by Russell Westbrook were super, super, just amazing. Out of this world. And he's been out of this world since the beginning of this season. He needed to be out of this world for OKC to make it to the playoffs. He needed to be out of this world for OKC to get as far as they've gotten to this point. He needs to be out of this world. He needs to be superhuman. He needs to be ridiculous. And he has been. But now he needs to be even more ridiculous at this point. I mean, he needs to be absolutely just, I mean, I don't, you can't get any more ridiculous than 51 points. You can't. 
get more ridiculous than a triple-double. You can't. Now, you can say on the other side, you can't get more ridiculous than four for 18. I mean, four for 18 from the field. Four for, four for 18 from the field. That ridiculous in the other way. Wow. Wow. It's 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 an amazing performance. It's it's a uh, it's a tale of two performances. You know, it's the first three quarters, and then it's that third quarter, and it's that four for eighteen done. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, four for eighteen. You know, four for eighteen. Just just think about that. Four for eighteen. That's bad. That's bad. But at the end of the day, who would you rather shoot? And, and I think you, we can look at four for 18. You, you can say maybe Russell. Russell could have got other people involved. You, you could have said all that. You really could. But, man, you, it, it's, 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 it's a tough thing. To, you you, you got to criticize them because obviously four for 18 is four for 18. I mean, some people don't shoot 18 shots in a game. He found the way to shoot 18 shots in a quarter. So you got to criticize him on some level. You got to criticize him. But your criticism isn't very harsh. And your criticism, even when you're criticizing him, you understand at the same time, what else do you expect him to do? What else do you expect him to do? And I so wish, and this is just a, a aside, but I so wish that KD could have stayed in OKC. I so wish that this OKC team was the team that we saw last year and the team that could have played the Golden State Warriors and given us another classic series. I so wish that that could be the case. But I also know at this point, it is what it is. It's a done deal. KD is in out there in Oakland doing his thing. And Westbrook is out there in OKC doing his thing. KD's thing, fortunately for him, it's probably going to end in some type of championship. Westbrook's thing at this point probably going to end in a first-round exit. I don't see OKC winning this series. I think Houston is the better basketball team. I thought Houston was the better basketball team coming into this series. And I knew Westbrook had to be super, 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 super amazing in order for it to happen. I mean, it had to be super amazing for OKC to win a series. And, and he was. And he was super amazing. But it's amazing. It's just it's amazing that that type of performance didn't end properly. And what I mean by properly with an OKC victory. Didn't happen. 
you move forward, you move on. And now if you're OKC, you got to see what you can do tonight. See what you see if you can hold serve. And they, as they always say, series does not start until, until the home team loses. Well, the home team has not lost yet. The road team has not won yet. So this series has not started. And it can't start. Won't start again until the home team loses. We'll see what happens. Do you think the home team loses? We'll see. We'll see. I think OKC wins tonight, though. And we'll see what happens from there. But I think OKC has a big-time performance. Might even be a blowout. But I think they win. Go Mason! NFL Draft next Thursday in the beautiful city of Philadelphia. Joe Mixon now has reached a civil settlement excuse me, with Amelia Molitor. She is the woman that Joe Mixon punched in that video a few years back. Um, Joe Mixon has apologized to her. He apologized to her directly. And, you know, they're able to move forward. You know, they, they, they talked. They, you know, they, 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 they talked, and they talked privately. He apologized to her. And hopefully, hopefully Joe Mixon will not be known for being that guy who punched a female in a video. Hopefully Joe Mixon is known for a guy who had a productive NFL career, who found a way to turn a negative into a positive and move forward. Hopefully. But who knows? At the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is an opportunity for Mixon now to get that out of his way and to move forward. And, and you know, Mel Kuyper has him going into the second round, going into the second round to the Cleveland Browns. The guy's talented. The guy's big time. And we had one of his teammates on. Uh few weeks back and you know and they talked about Joe Mixon not being that guy not being that dude you know that Joe Mixon he said was a good guy and so Dakota Austin we had on him you know he talked about how Joe Mixon was a good guy actually forgot who it was but Joe Mixon was a good guy and you know he's a, he's a decent guy he's a decent dude and, and so you know, whatever happened, happened. But that's not indicative of who Joe Mixon is as a person. I don't know Joe Mixon. I don't know that to be the case. But I just hope that Joe Mixon can take advantage of the second opportunity. He's got a second chance now. And as he said today, I'm thankful for Mia, the woman that he he punched in that video. But he said, I'm thankful for Mia, Mia. And I will, and what, quote, excuse me. And I were, let me, let me read that again. I messed that whole thing up. Messed it all up. Let me do it again. I am thankful me and I were able to talk privately. I was able to apologize to her one-to-one. The way I reacted that night, that's not me. That's not the way I was raised. I think she understands that. Talking together helps m- move us past what happened. 
I know I have to keep working to be a better person. And this is another step in that direction. I love working with kids and I'm looking for more chances to do that kind of work. I want to lead a life that inspires them. And I hope I can lead by example from today forward. Those were the words of Joe Mixon today as he moved forward and moved on. Well, he's moving on with his life. And we'll see what Joe Mixon can do moving forward. We're going to bring in a guy now preparing for this upcoming NFL draft. NFL draft, as we said, right around the corner. Right around the corner. And this guy is preparing for it. We're going to bring him in now. Dontre Wilson, Ohio State. Let's bring him in now. Former Ohio State H-back. Dontre Wilson. Dontre, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, sir. You had your pro day back in March. You know, you you went through the drills. You had a little bit of a hamstring injury, but you still went through the drills. You had a 4.5940. Rate your pro day performance. Pro day went well, man. Uh, I wish I could have ran a lot better, but, you know, things happen. Uh, Things that I can't control happen. I caught everything. I ran great routes. Caught a couple of one-handers. I dove dove for one and caught one. And uh, I think I did pretty well. What do you feel like you showed the scouts on that pro day? Uh, That that I've transformed into a great receiver. And, uh, you know, that I can not only be a great receiver, uh, but I can also do a little bit of running back. Uh, I can be a great punt returner. I caught punts well. you know, I, I think I, I think I flashed a lot of a lot of great things, man. A lot of good change direction things. You know, like I said, that at forty was the only thing that I feel that could have hurt me. You know, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't I don't play slow. I play very fast. I feel like, and uh, you know, I feel like I'm gonna bring that to whatever team picks me up. So you ran the four point five nine forty, but what was the fastest time you ran during your practice runs? I didn't have a chance to run it because I was dealing with the hamstring. I was baby in it. Okay. All right. So that kind of, you know, slowed you down a little bit. Yeah, not too much worried about that anymore. Uh, you know, I'll probably never run a 40 again, so I'm just ready to play football. Sounds good. So what kind of feedback did you get from the NFL on that pro day? I got some great feedback, man. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of teams liked what I did. They, they liked the hands. They liked the poise. They like the, you know, the, the just the in and out of the breaks, and uh, you know they, they they just said I look I look real fluid. We're talking to former Ohio State receiver Dontre Wilson. What's next for you in terms of this process? I saw you tweeted out the other day that you're headed to Cincinnati. Yeah, I actually worked out with the Bengals yesterday. Okay. Um, at a, at a workout at the stadium, uh, you know, that went very well as well. And uh, not too long ago, I worked out with the Cowboys. Uh, you know, that went well, I think. And, uh, you know, I got some great feedback from, from both of those teams. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to a lot of teams, man, a lot of teams that were interested. So, uh, you know, I'm just counting down the days, man, and busting my butt still, you know, working out, keeping my body right, you know, just staying ready for once I get that call. Are you a Cowboys fan? I know you're a Texas boy. I'm a Dallas boy. I ain't just a Texas boy, man. I'm, I'm a big Cowboys fan. Okay, all right. So, obviously, that workout with the Cowboys 
was a little extra special for you. Yeah, yeah, it, mean, it meant a lot, man. It meant a lot to be able to get the opportunity to work out with the, you know, with my favorite team. And uh, you know, it, it'll be it'll be no hard feelings, you know, uh, if if I if I was to go to a team other than the Cowboys. You know, it's all it's all business from this point. But uh, yeah, man, I love I love the Cowboys. So what would it mean to you if the Cowboys called your name? I mean, it'll mean the world to me, man. And I go out there and give them all. You didn't get that NFL Combine invite, that Senior Bowl invite. Did those snubs put a chip on your shoulder? Yeah, a huge chip, man. A huge chip. You know, uh, I felt like I got snubbed from that. And, uh, you know, I felt like I wasn't getting the proper help or the proper push to get in those two. But, uh, you know, all things happen for a reason. You know, I feel like throughout all my throughout throughout all the struggles that I've had, you know, God has always been there by my side, man, to help me get through it. And He's been He's been by my side to help me get through those two things. And uh, you know, I've been just pushing, pushing ahead, man, and just praying each and every day, you know, that I get that phone call that I be able to to uh, prove to the team, you know, that I'm really that I'm worth it, that I'm worth having a chance to play in play in this league. We're talking to former Ohio State wide receiver Don Trey Wilson. Where do you see yourself on the next level? I know you talked about some punt returning. I know you talked about some running back. Where do you see yourself on the next level? Are you a wide receiver? And if so, do you see yourself in the slot? Do you see yourself on the outside? Where do you see yourself? Uh, man, I see myself playing all over the field, you know, outside, inside, uh, running back, uh, you know, pump turn, kick and turn. I can play gunner. I can run down on kickoff. I can run down on punt. You know, and I, I can do whatever the team needs me to do because I've, I've did a lot. You know, growing up, I played almost every position. And, you know, I feel like I'm very valuable and I'm very – I have a lot of assets and I'm, I'm very useful. So I, I was looking on Twitter and, and I saw you catching some balls with one hand, a la Odell Beckham Jr. Talk about the hands of Dontre Wilson. Uh, they, they've got a lot more potent. I, I catch I catch about 500 balls a day, you know. I make that mandatory. Even if I'm not doing any field work, I still catch about 500 balls a day. Uh, when you transition from running back to receiver, man, you have to have great hands, you know, because that's what, that's what a lot of teams look at. Uh, you know, Coach Meyer made that evidence that I needed to get uh, great hands in order to play receiver in his offense. And, you know, I made that happen. And uh, yeah, the hands the hands have got a lot better, man. I got a great grip. So the hands are on point at this point. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. So I'm looking at you now, and where, in terms of where you might go, I mean, obviously you went through, you know, you had to work out with the Bengals, work out with the Cowboys. You went through the Ohio State Pro Day. What are you hearing in terms of where you might go? Where will you go undrafted? Will you go late? Where will you go? I'm looking to get drafted, man, but I ain't gonna. But I'm gonna keep it a secret. I don't. I ain't, I ain't gonna let it go out over air. I'm gonna let everybody see for themselves. Okay. All right. So you feel like something good's gonna happen for you? Definitely. So you had some injuries at Ohio State, which caused you to be sidelined more than you wanted to. Because of those injuries, you know that might affect your draft status. Let me ask you this. How much different would it would it have been for you if you would have stayed healthy at Ohio State? I'd have been a lot different, man. I was coming along very well. My freshman year, I started. My sophomore year, I started all the way up until I got hurt. 
And you know, uh, you know, Coach Meyer wants to win, and he's he's going to do whatever he wants to, he whatever he needs to do to win. And he felt like he felt like playing those other guys is what he needed to do to win. And you know, I don't fault him for that. And uh, you know, like I said, those things, those type of things happen, and you can't control them. I can't control getting injured. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, that, that's all over now. Now I have a I have a fresh start. Now I have a healthy body. I'm blessed. You know, I can't wait to get this opportunity, man. Do you feel like you're in the best shape of your life? Yes. Okay. So, let me ask you this. I, I, we, we were talking off air, and you talked about the stress. And I can only imagine what the stress is when it comes to this whole situation. I mean, you, you're getting looked up and down. I mean, you're getting poked. You're getting prodded. I mean, you, you have all these things coming at you as you prepare for the NFL draft. Talk about the stress. Uh, it's, it's stressful, man, because you never know. Like, in my situation, uh, you know, of course I'm not a, I'm not a top, top-tier top guy, you know, as I would have been if I wouldn't have had got injured. But, uh, you know, not being not being a top-tier guy, not knowing that you're going to go, like, first round to the third, you know, guaranteed, uh, that, that's the stressful part about it. But, uh, you know, it's almost over, man. I, you know, the the draft, the actual draft day, that would probably be the stress, the most stressful day. But, you know, throughout the process, man, I've just been taking it all in, you know, using that stress to just go work out even more and, you know, bust my tail and give it all I got. How do you keep it all in order? I mean, how, how do you keep yourself from getting overwhelmed? I got priorities, man. I have a son that I got to take care of. I got to take care of my family. I got to feed my family, you know, so I can't, I can't let it all overwhelm me. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of friends. Uh, you know, that have just recently went to the NFL off my last two teams, and they give me advice all the time. And, you know, if they can handle it, I can definitely handle it. All the things we went through together, and, uh, you know, seeing their success, I know that I can do the same. What kind of advice have they given you? Great advice, man. Just keep keep grinding, keep my head on straight, and I can't you can't shoot the grind. You know, it's, just, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of guys that get to the NFL, and, you know, they think they get they have it made once they get there. And, you know, we at Ohio State we we were, we were always prepared for things because we always worked we always worked our tail off even though we was great. We was a great team. Everybody had great athletic ability. But uh, you know, the the mental the mental part of the game is where we just really stood out because we always worked worked our worked our hardest and, and uh, you know, we was always prepared. We're talking to former Ohio State wide receiver Don Trey Wilson. So you talked about the grind. What does that grind look like? I mean, take us through the day in the life of Dontre Wilson as he prepares for the NFL draft. Um, I wake up, wake up, work out at nine, nine thirty. I had this trainer, I had a personal trainer, put me through a CrossFit type workout. Uh, you know, about a two-hour workout. I go home, take a little nap, take a shower, uh, relax. About four thirty. Go to the field, go to my old high school field, get get field work in, man. Some cone drills, catching the ball, running some good routes, and uh, you know, that's that's just day day after day. And then after that, immediately I go into the the training room here at our football stadium, uh, get some good treatment, man. And that's that's day after day, each day. So at the end of the day, you're not cheating the grind. Can't can't not cheat the so, grind. So end of the day. Why should any NFL team give Dontre Wilson an opportunity? I'm a hard-working young man. 
that are got a huge past, you know, that like I said, can't control things that I've been through, man. A lot of a lot of young young men my age couldn't get through it. Um hard working. You know, I bring a lot of lot to the team. I'm, I have a lot of aspects. You can play me anywhere on the field. Um I'm willing, I'm I'm a uh, I'm a great learner. I take coaching and you know, I just I wanna do anything to help the team. Sounds good. So so fans, make sure you follow this man's journey. Hit him up on Twitter at Trey Day. That's at Trey Day. Also hit him up on Instagram. Run like Trey and support all the great things going on with Don Trey Wilson. What's it like to run like Trey? Let me know. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, man. Spinning on people, breaking people's ankles, scoring touchdowns. Oh, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's hard <laughs> to run like Trey, but it ain't for everybody. I see. I see. Don Trey, absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Would love to do it again. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. For sure. Take care of yourself. Yes, sir. I will. Don Trey Wilson, absolute pleasure talking to him as he prepares for the upcoming NFL draft. Again, less than a week away. A lot of different things could happen, may happen, will happen. And you look at Deshaun Kaiser. Had some interesting comments yesterday. Interesting comments. Told to USA Today. Quote, imagine taking Brady's intellect and Brady's preparation and putting it on a guy with Cam Newton's body. Why can't I be the greatest? The only thing stopping me from is me. So the only thing stopping me from is me. That's what's driving me now. Those were the words of Deshaun Kaiser, former Notre Dame quarterback. Obviously. Well, obviously he thinks he's a total package. Um, well, I don't know how much the NFL thinks that because according to Mel Kuyper, you know, Mel Kuyper is not God, but according to Mel Kuyper, he's a draft Nick. He knows what he's talking about. Kaiser's going in the third round. So obviously people don't necessarily believe that Deshaun Kaiser is – the total package. If, if, if they thought Deshaun Kaiser was the total ca- package, I'm sure, I'm sure he would go a little higher, a little higher than the third round. That's just a guess. But what do I know? But anyway, you look at Deshaun Kaiser, he thinks he's big time. He thinks he's the real deal. Brady's intellect, Cam's body. Sounds like the best of both worlds. Sounds like the best of all worlds to me. But what do I know? But we'll see what scouts, GMs, coaches, we'll see how they feel about that whole situation. Let's go to boxing for a moment. Adrian, the problem, Broner. Adrian Broner. Yesterday was arrested in Kentucky for a warrant. 
uh, for something to happen in 2014. And, you know, you look at Adrian Broner yesterday. Well, his car was shot up. I mean, that's unfortunate. I mean, his his and, you know, the, apparently he was getting shot out, shot at, excuse me, in Cincinnati. And so it, it kind of goes, a lot of things wrong seems to happen for Adrian Broner in Cincinnati. He's done a lot of things. I mean, robbery, 2007 to 2010 in Cincinnati. Aggravated robbery, 2007. Uh, 2007. Felonous assault. 2007 gun charges 2007 2008 domestic violence 2008 intimidation of a witness 2008 then you talk about last year where he had an alleged assault and robbery outside of a bowling alley and guess what in what city cincinnati ultimately the charges were dismissed in terms of the bowling alley incident but it it shows me and it tells me that there comes a point in every man's life, person's life, when they when they gain a level of success where they have to leave their town, their hometown, the place they grew up. They have to leave it because it's just too much going on, just too much trouble there. And Adrian Broner has too much going on and just has too much trouble there in Cincinnati. Trouble seems to follow the problem. Adrian seems to have a problem in Cincinnati. So with that being said, there's times where you're going to have to leave your area. There are times where you're going to have to go elsewhere. There are times where you're going to have to go different places. Because at the end of the day, the reality of the situation is your hometown is toxic to you and for you. And I feel like Adrian Broner's hometown is toxic to him and for him. And so in order for him to to become the man that he wants to be, I think in order for him to become a better person, a better guy, he's got to leave Cincinnati, Ohio. And he's got to go elsewhere. He's got to start anew. He can't stay in Cincinnati. It's, It's an issue for him. And it's getting him into a lot of trouble. It's getting him into a lot of situations. It's getting him, unfortunately, you know, I mean, he could have got hurt. He could have really got hurt. Fortunately for him, his car is the only thing that's bullet ridden. Fortunately for him, it wasn't him, his body. So Adrian Broner... Needs to figure this out. He needs to figure it out in a hurry. Otherwise, his career is going to end a lot faster than he wants it to. His career is going to end because he can't continue like this. He can't continue acting a fool. He can't continue you know, maybe being out and about the way he may want to be in the city of Cincinnati. He's got to make a change. And change isn't bad. It's not bad. It's it's not a bad thing. Change is good. 
Some change is good. Some change is bad. In this case, for Adrian, the problem, Broner, change is good for him. He, he needs change. He needs to get out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And he needs to think about it and figure out what he wants to do. We also know Carmelo Anthony, he may have to get out. He may have to get out of New York City. I mean, Carmelo Anthony now, reports are out there that he has, that he impregnated a woman. Um, I'm looking at the New York Post, and the talk was that woman was a stripper, a dancer, but now the talk is the woman is not that, but a woman has a master's degree in health communication, and that the woman is, you know, a working woman, I guess, you know, an educated woman, but she is a 24-year-old woman. And apparently her and Mello met while he was in Chicago. And you, the thought process, and right now Mello, Apparently, Mello and his wife, Lala, are separated. But the thought process was always that Mello wanted to be in New York to be because his wife wanted to be in New York. That was that seemed to be the thought process, thought process excuse me, that Mello wanted to be in New York because his wife wanted to be in New York. His wife is a native New Yorker, and Mello is from New York as well, but his wife wanted to be there. I don't know. I don't know. But obviously, obviously, for Mello, it's not a good look. I mean, it happens. It's not surprising in this walk of life. I mean, in the life that they live, it's not surprising. It's not surprising at all. It really isn't. It's not a surprising at all, because the reality is, the reality is, he is a professional athlete. The reality is, a lot of girls love professional athletes. The reality is, he is, you know, a decent-looking brother, decent-looking guy. And so it's not surprising. It's not surprising. And I think if most men put themselves in the shoes of Carmelo Anthony, they may say and may do the same exact stuff. They may do the same exact stuff. I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it might lead, well, here's the thing. Bill Jackson's already been on record as saying Melo needs to go somewhere else, compete for a championship, blah, 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 blah. But that's Captain Obvious. Melo does need to go somewhere else. Melo does, you know, need to get out of New York. Melo needs to find a place that he can go where he can compete for a championship. And I don't understand how the L.A. Clippers – who apparently, according to reports, could have gotten Mello without giving up Blake Griffin, CP3, or DeAndre Jordan. I mean, I don't 
understand how if you didn't have to give up any of your big three, I don't understand how or why you would not want the services of Carmelo Anthony. I don't know why you wouldn't want a guy who can get 20 points in his sleep. I don't know why you would want a guy who's a game changer. I don't know why you wouldn't want a guy who, well, we could talk about, here's what I like to judge players. I like to judge players, you know, when they play with good players and big-time players. Look at Melo when he plays in the Olympics. Look at the numbers he puts up. Look at the things that he does. So I'm judging him based off of what he's done in big moments with big-time players. The Olympics, the big moment. And you're playing with big-time players. And those big-time players obviously help elevate your game. So you don't think Melo playing with a CP3, playing with a Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan wouldn't elevate that basketball team in L.A.? Most definitely he would. He would elevate that big that team big time. He would most definitely elevate that team. There's no way in the world that Melo would not elevate the L.A. Clippers, especially when you don't have to give up. When you don't have to give up your big three, Boston. I don't know why the Celtics didn't make a play for Carmelo Anthony. I don't know why. I I, I don't know why. I don't know why people were saying it's He's a ball stopper. You know, he, he can't win championship basketball. He can't play winning basketball. Melo did get to the Western Conference Finals. You know, he, he had some playoff success. He did get to the Conference Finals. That's a lot further than CP3 Chris Paul has gotten. That's further than Blake Griffin has gotten. That's further than Deion. That's further than any of those Clippers have gotten. So, if you're the L.A. Clippers, I don't know or understand how or why you will want Carmelo Anthony when you don't have to give up your big three. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I just don't understand. But I guess it's not for me to understand. I'm not a Clippers fan. I'm not a, a Celtics fan. So that's none of my business at the end of the day. But when you have a guy who can help you win a championship, and when you have a team like the Cavaliers, for, talking from the Celtics' point of view, they're vulnerable. They have vulnerability. You have a chance to take advantage of their vulnerability. Melo would help that. If you're the Clippers, hey, I'm not saying you're beating the Golden State Warriors, but I am saying that you're not beating the Golden State Warriors definitively the way your team is presently constructed. Heck, you might not even beat the Utah Jazz the way your team is presently constructed. But, 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 I would give you a chance if you have Melo. I'd give you a chance. If you had the services of Carmelo Anthony, Boston, I'd give you a chance. 
if you had the services of Carmelo Anthony to beat the Cavaliers, I'd give you a chance. I would. Really would. So, I don't know. But Melo has to deal with that issue, that situation. He does deny it. So, who knows how that's going to play out. And who knows what's going to happen. Interesting. And obviously the story of Aaron Hernandez, a tragic situation. But there are reports out there now. Don't know how they're true they are. But there are reports out there now, according to Newsweek, that one of the notes left by Aaron Hernandez was to his prison boyfriend. Also, there's also reports out there that his sexuality may have led to the killing of Odin Lloyd because there was talk that Aaron Hernandez had been bisexual. And there also had been talk that Aaron Hernandez had been, you know, had an affair going on with his longtime former high school classmate. Apparently that man was forced to testify in front of a grand jury in Lloyd's murder. I don't know. According to that report, Odin Lloyd had told Hernandez's fiance, well, I'm sorry, Odin Lloyd, well, you got to remember, Odin Lloyd was dating Aaron Hernandez's fiance's sister. So apparently Odin Lloyd may have told his then-girlfriend, which was Aaron Hernandez's fiance's sister, that Aaron Hernandez was gay or bisexual. And then ultimately, his fiance may have found out about the whole situation. I don't know. I mean, obviously, some of these stories, you're going to get some stories. Some might be true. Some might be false when it comes to this whole Aaron Hernandez situation. It's, it's an odd story, to say the least. I mean, what? 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 You just... Todd, just an odd story. And just the way his life ended, and just the way his life was as a whole, was interesting. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a weird story. It's an odd story. I mean, that's the only thing you can say when you, when you look at Aaron Hernandez. It's an odd story. It's a story that defies logic. It, it defies logic that a guy talented, a guy with the money that he has and the money that he is going to make will be involved in just stupidity. That's odd. It's a weird behavior. It, it's behavior that's mind-boggling and it's behavior that doesn't make sense. It, it just, you can't reason. You can't figure out or understand why it happened. Stuff like this usually doesn't happen. I mean, he's a current, he was a current NFL player doing thug-like stuff. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, it's just, 
it's just an amazing story. It, it, it's it's one of those stories that you just like I said, you just can't wrap your hand around it. You can't you can't you can't understand it. You cannot understand it. But I guess at the end of the day, it, it just may not be meant for us to understand. This may not be meant for us to to understand. I, I know at this point, you still have a civil situation going on with Aaron Hernandez. It's a state. There is a, apparently a loophole, and I don't know if it's a loophole per se, but there's a there's a law within Massachusetts law where you know, being that Aaron Hernandez is now dead, and being that his case was in the appeals process. The case at this point is done. It's it's over. He's considered a quote-unquote innocent man at this point in time. But there's also now, you still got Odin Lloyd's family who's still trying to get their hands on the money, you know, Aaron Hernandez, the money that Aaron Hernandez has in his estate. They're trying to get their hands on it. And, and quite frankly, they should get their that money. And I also look at it from a daughter's perspective and his daughter's standpoint. You know, it's a tough situation. Obviously, you want Odin Lloyd's family to be compensated for what happened. They lost their son. But also, you would like to see his daughter compensated as well. She lost her daddy. So you would like to see all parties compensated some way, somehow. And you know, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to go. But I do know this. I do know this. I would ideally like to see both parties get something. Something. And who, who knows what's going to happen. But it's it's just a sad story. It, it just, it's, it's a story that just defies logic. And it just... After he beat that case, the double murder trial, the double murder situation, you didn't expect him to kill himself. You expect, you expect, excuse me, Aaron Hernandez, you know, there was talk that he was, well, obviously he was in the process of appealing his case. You know, his attorney now, uh, Jose Baez, believed that, hey, Aaron Hernandez had a pretty strong case and maybe he can, you know, vacate the guilty uh, verdict on appeal in that old Lloyd case. Maybe, I don't know, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's a tough situation. But like I said, as I said earlier in the show, I'll repeat it now. There are no winners. Everybody has laws. Everybody. Lloyd, Paul Lloyd's family, Aaron Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez's family, all have lost. And it's sad. It, it's just really a sad situation. It's just really a sad story. And a story that I don't think any of us would have ever imagined. I mean, who can forget when that story first dropped? You know, Aaron Hernandez, 
a suspect in a murder case. And then ultimately Aaron Hernandez arrested. And then all this stuff started to come out about Aaron Hernandez and, you know, his lifestyle. And, you know, he sounded like a common criminal. He sounded like a thug, like a guy who was out here thugging. That's what he sounded like. And based off reports, that's the way he was acting. He was acting like a common thug. Not a million-dollar athlete, but a street guy doing street-like things. And anytime you're living your life in that way, in that manner, there's always going to be issues, problems, situations. And Aaron Hernandez had issues, problems, and situations. In those issues, problems, and situations, you know, I mean, you're doing that street world, you deal with street-level consequences. And so Aaron Hernandez was dealing in that street world, world, excuse me, and he was dealing with street world consequences. You leave your hometown, but you're still hanging out. You know, you're in Boston playing for the Patriots, but you're still hanging out with the guys that you ran with. Can't do that. You you can't do that. You got to separate yourself from the dudes who could be negative influences on you and your situation. Obviously, those guys were negative influences on him and on his situation. But maybe, and quite frankly, maybe Aaron Hernandez was the guy who was, you know, and allowing it. Well, maybe he was the guy that was the negative influence on his friends. Maybe he was that guy. I mean, I don't know. But I know this. I, I, I do know this. I do know this. This story is just sad. I, I mean, that's just it's a tragedy. Bill Belichick said it right when talking about the life of Aaron Hernandez. It's a tragedy. It, it's just a tragedy that a guy who had all the money in the world, a guy who had fame, a guy who had a lot of success on the football field. Unfortunately, that success didn't translate to life. His life was a mess, a hot mess. Can't do it, man. You can't live two worlds, live in two worlds. And as I said earlier, one world will eventually take over another. And that's what happened with Aaron Hernandez. I want to thank Dontre Wilson for stopping by. Also want to thank former Major League Baseball player Rick Ankiel for stopping by. Make sure you get his book, The Phenomenon. You can listen to this show and other great shows, blogtalkradio.com slash pecant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit us up on the website, GoForItGantSports.com, where we continue to talk sports and have fun doing it. For everybody here at GoForItGant, We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.